At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. On today's episode of the podcast, we discuss compassion. We define compassion and how it differs from empathy, sympathy, kindness, and other emotions. We also talk quite a bit about the research from Kristen Neff, who is a leading researcher in the field of self-compassion. I'm Jacob DeRosset. I'm joined here by Sarah Vallely. Sarah, how are you today? I'm great, Jacob. I'd like to begin by defining compassion. Sometimes we think about the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, but that's actually the definition of empathy. And empathy and compassion are different. In fact, research shows a different part of our brain is activated when we are compassionate compared to when we are empathetic. Empathy has a lot to do with feeling the pain of someone else. We also might think that we are compassionate when we feel sorry or pity for someone else, but that is the definition of sympathy, or we might think of being friendly, generous, or considerate, but that's the definition of kindness. A typical definition of compassion is to recognize the suffering in others and try to relieve their suffering. But my definition is a little bit different. And the reason is, is because that's a fine line, relieving the suffering of someone else. Of course, that's a nice thought and sometimes very appropriate, but sometimes going in and relieving somebody's suffering is not healthy for us and possibly the other person. For example, in my own parenting, I've been historically that type of mother who can't see her kids fail. And so just jumping in and making sure things are done in a certain way. And I've learned over the years that that maybe wasn't the best approach. And there's other circumstances where swooping in and relieving someone of their suffering isn't necessarily appropriate. For example, if someone in your family has issues with addiction, we can support them, but without going in and and saving their situation. My definition of compassion has to do with the idea of devaluing. Devaluing is when we think that someone or ourselves is lesser of a person because of a circumstance. Devaluing would mean that we, in a way, reduce someone's worth. We reduce our own worth. Devaluing is what happens right before we feel the emotion of shame. My definition of compassion is recognizing someone's suffering and desiring them or ourselves not to think they are lesser of a person because of a circumstance. I really think about the mental components of compassion. There are the heart components of compassion, which would be that feeling of love, empathy, those feelings of sympathy, forgiveness, gratitude, trust, and healing. Those are all these really deep heartfelt emotions that we might feel in conjunction with feeling compassionate. But the mental component of compassion is really important. And that's about changing our own thinking. And the mindfulness part isn't the changing of the thinking. The mindfulness part is being aware of the moments when we could step in and change our thinking and think in a more compassionate way. 
And another reason the mental component is really important is because it's our own mental process that sabotages our ability to be compassionate, whether that's towards another person or towards ourselves. And if our mind is quiet, our consciousness is focused in our heart, we're probably not moving into a place of being not compassionate, right? It's when we're in our heads and we're in these thinking cycles, that's when we lose touch of these moments of compassion. If the definition of compassion is recognizing someone's suffering and not wanting them to think that they are any lesser of a person, how can we notice these moments? How can we notice these moments with other people? How can we notice these moments with ourselves? A typical circumstance in which we might be devaluing ourselves is when we are feeling a difficult emotion, we're feeling hurt, we're feeling abandonment, loss, or rejection. That would be a good indicator that it's possible you might be devaluing yourself. You might be thinking you're lesser of a person because of these difficult emotions. You might think thoughts like, I'm not handling this the way I should, become emotionally weak, something like that. That would be a really good example of devaluing yourself in that situation. And so that is a perfect opportunity to come in and practice self-compassion. Another scenario would be if you're in a difficult mental state, such as depressed, feeling pressure. If you're in a difficult circumstance, such as losing your job, going through a divorce. If you're dealing with a medical issue or an injury, we might start devaluing ourselves. Oh, I should have been more responsible. I feel so incapable because of my circumstances. And that would be a perfect time to come in with some self-compassion. Or if you feel like you're being targeted, that would be another typical example. So I actually had an experience um recently of doing the thing when you're driving in the car after just having left a social interaction and thinking like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really underachieving right now. I need to get home and do all these things. And then being upset with myself for allowing things to get to the place where they are now, you know, just doing the, doing the whole thing, absolutely going through it, making a whole list of all the things that I was doing wrong, how delusional I've been lately and distracted, really judging my social interactions with others, feeling like being distracted during social interactions and not being with the person. I'm trying to connect with people, but then there's many people around. First level of self-compassion, I would say, is to, once you've become mindful of that moment, is to find something you can validate yourself about. For example, you mentioned distraction. Some of what was going on was due to you being distracted. That would be a perfect thing to validate yourself about. You know, it's understandable that I've been distracted. It's been a really busy day. I've, I've had a lot going on. Using self-compassion practice decreases anxiety and depression and burnout. Research out there that's showing compassion meditation helps with burnout burnout, which I found really interesting. Kristen Neff is a, a PhD researcher, and she's really the pioneer researching self-compassion. And I'm very influenced by her work. I just love what she's doing. And she's written a great book called Self-Compassion. The basis of what she teaches is based on these three pillars. The first is self-kindness. Treat yourself with care and understanding. The understanding is that validation piece that I was just mentioning. And care would be, you know, following following up with a statement that shows that you that you care for yourself like an example might be i'll get through this it's going to be okay or i understand that i make mistakes and the next pillar that she talks about is a sense of common humanity recognizing that imperfection is a shared aspect in the human experience 
We are human beings having a human experience and our worth lies in the fact that we are human. That's where our worth comes from. Our worth doesn't come from the fact that we got it all right. We're not devalued because we didn't get it all right. We are worthy because we are human beings here having a human experience and we are moving through emotions of joy, gratitude and pain and loss. That's why we are so worthy. And then the third pillar that she talks about is mindfulness. She specifically talks about mindfulness in a way of leaning into our pain as opposed to avoiding or exaggerating our pain to move into acceptance. She doesn't use the word healing a lot, but I use the word healing. This is the healing part. You know, when we can accept those difficult emotions that we're having, abandonment, loss, rejection, and we can lean into them and accept them and give ourselves self-compassion, we can heal them. We can really move through them and heal and eventually on the other end, experience joy. So she suggests doing some reflection exercises, which I also do. I do a lot of reflection exercises with my clients. We take a look at what's coming up in your life that's maybe pulling you into these states where you're putting yourself down a little bit, doing some investigation, taking a look at that so we can practice being mindful of when those moments come about. Kristen Neff teaches compassion meditation, which are visualizations that include self-kindness, include the sense of common humanity. And she also tells us to practice loving kindness, right? Loving kindness meditation is a way to incorporate compassion and self-compassion all in the same meditation. Loving kindness meditation is when we say, I wish for myself to have peace. I wish for myself to have joy. I wish for myself to be healthy. And then wishing for someone else to have those things and then wishing for all beings to have those things. So I always start with people that are very easy, like my wife or my cats. Like I'll pick one person and they're laying in what I imagine to be a recliner made of light, like warm glowing light, like this really like gold, pure light. And then they're blissfully happy. And I just say things like, may you be happy. May you feel loved. May you be healthy. And then I start moving out and I've never really gotten to myself. I've heard a few teachers say that you're the most difficult person to loving kindness to. If you had to pick one meditation to do, I would say that would be the one. Pick somebody that's easy for you to feel good feelings towards and then work your way out to somebody neutral. And then you could even work your way out to somebody that you don't particularly like. And then maybe you could do yourself. Yourself is the hardest one in my experience. You know, you're a physical trainer and working with clients. Do you see this come up as far as body image and strengthening? Do they ever get into situations where self-compassion would be helpful. Only every day. (laughs) People have highs and lows, but by and large, uh, people in general are taught to wish our body was a lot different than it was and to really not like certain aspects of it. And something I always tell people is if your doctor says you're healthy and you get around really well and you can do all of your normal daily tasks easily, then it's cosmetic. Your view of yourself is a cosmetic view. It's a view of, of society or social like pressure to look a certain way. The science says if amount of your body fat is not impairing your balance and your all of your health markers are normal, then having a bit of extra body fat is actually a good thing. If you get in a car accident, it's padding. If you fall down while you're hiking, uh, it's padding. I kind of use that as a way of having people feel better about it. You might want to look different in a bikini. Who doesn't? I mean, I'm a trainer. Oh my goodness. If I'm brushing my teeth in the morning and feel like I look bloated, 
exploded. I feel like I'm, my career is falling apart, you know, like <laughs> it, it's like, it's real. It, but I realized like, no, you know, I've kind of owned it now a little bit, you know, like the whole, like, it's okay. I don't have 10% body fat. 15's okay. I like bread and I like beer and I try to keep it in check. So this is an ongoing, you know, thing for everybody. Do your strength training, go to your doctor, get your walks in, you know, spend time outside, do your meditation to keep your stress low. And, and you're probably going to live a pretty good life. Yeah. That's great advice. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you can help me out with this about our culture that it feels weird, uncomfortable to give ourselves compassion. Like what is it about our upbringing? The first thing that's coming to my mind is, you know, to be tough, just tough it out. You're strong, you're tough, get through this. And I think when we move into a space where we're giving ourselves compassion, we have to be vulnerable enough to accept or to lean into the fact that, you know, we are having a hard time and we are feeling vulnerable. I've actually been thinking about this lately. I'm, I'm reading a book, a strength training book. There's this brilliant line in it about how being a, an athlete is walking a line between overtraining and laziness, that you should really try to find that line of overtraining and being lazy, meaning more often than not, you should probably take it easier than you think in regards to pushing yourself because of all of the life factors that are going to be affected by your getting overtrained, getting your hormones off balance. You need to be a disciplinarian to get to the gym. And as soon as you get to the gym, turn into a nurturer, get there every day, really make it happen and then be easy when you get there. The Buddha talked about the middle path. So this is what I see in our culture that we don't know how to relax when we're supposed to relax. And we don't know how to get fired up when we need to get fired up to go to the gym and, and to do, to be diligent, to get up and do our meditation. We all struggle with this notion of when to be diligent, when to be disciplined and when to relax and, and allow it. And so the concept I've been thinking about a lot lately is the middle path, because if you know, if you get the unlucky deck to be not very pleasant to be around by some people due to your temper or whatever, acknowledging that and changing it is important. But at the same time, telling yourself that you're a bad person because you get angry doesn't work either, right? There's the middle road there. Yeah, I love that about pushing yourself to get to the gym. But once you get to the gym, be a nurturer. What might be an example of how we can nurture ourselves when we're in that situation? Picking exercise variations that are actually pretty mild as far as strength training goes. The weight on the bar should be significant enough that you're getting stronger. Your numbers are going up. You're consistently lifting heavier weight, but not saying something like, well, my back feels a bit tweaked today. Well, I should deadlift every day. So I will deadlift today. Instead saying, wow, my back feels a bit tweaked. That's odd. Okay, well, I guess I should explore why it is that my back feels this way, what I can do to make my body feel a little bit better. Another thing that Kristen Neff talks about, which I think is really helpful, there are six different forms of self-compassion. What you were saying about taking a moment to be inquisitive about what your needs are at the gym would fall under the category of provide, that there's a form of compassion that's about providing. So some other examples would be, I am important and I have needs. There's also self-compassion actions that we can do. Uh, for example, setting boundaries in your schedule to create time to journal, provide yourself that time. And I had talked about the form of self-compassion validation. What I am going through is difficult and it's understandable that I'm struggling. Or another example might be, I'm under a lot of pressure. I can see why my anxiety is high. Another form that Kristen Neff talks about is comfort. I'll get through this. I'm going to be okay. Would be a great example of giving yourself comfort 
She also talks about soothing. I haven't quite understood the difference between the comfort category and the soothing category, but to me, I take the soothing category to be more of like an action that you do for yourself. And then comfort might be something you might say to yourself. So a soothing action might be to take a walk to help soothe your nervous system allowing yourself to, to cry and, and move through and move into healing in that way. And another form of self-compassion that she talks about is to protect yourself. And that might be thinking, it's not all right for me to be treated this way. Protect yourself from situations that are emotionally unsafe, physically unsafe, or removing yourself from a situation would be a self-compassionate action that you would do to protect yourself. And the last category of self-compassion she talks about is motivate, saying something to yourself or taking action that motivates you. An example might be, I will change the way I look at myself because I care about myself. Or another might be, a vacation would be so good for me. I know I can make that work. You know, we had talked about how giving self-compassion to ourselves can feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> I will share these self-compassion statement and action examples on the blog. And my recommendation is to do them, even if it feels weird and even if it feels uncomfortable, eventually it will start to feel very meaningful. It will start to feel like it is supporting you in a way that you don't normally support yourself. It's, it can be very healing and self-compassion statements and actions can make your situations easier to move through. That's really the bottom line. I really did not see any value in self-compassion practices at all when I first started. It, it took me a couple of years before I would even do it. I just really felt like it was unnecessary. Now, as someone who says that's the most important practice that you could do, I would say that telling yourself that you don't need to do self-compassion training is not what self-compassion is. <laughs> so if you're somebody that you don't think you need it, that means that you don't know what that actually means. Because <laughs> you're toughing it out. <laughs> yes. You're right. pushing yourself. I used to just make myself, I used to push myself to sit through those because I knew I, I probably needed to. Now it's like, that's the first thing I do in the morning. And I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. I totally agree with you. We're often the hardest on ourselves. And that's why that mindfulness is so important because we use the mindfulness, that awareness of our own thinking to understand that that's what we're doing. And we can cultivate that awareness during a sitting practice. And that allows you to get a better read on what you are actually thinking. And then that can bleed into the rest of the day and noticing those thoughts that are coming in. That mindfulness of noticing those thought cycles is key because then we notice it, we take a pause, and then we might say a self-compassion statement to ourselves. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.